Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today, we have Mr. A. Michael Smith. He's the uh, Chief Audit Executive at NASDAQ, and we talk about what internal audits should be doing right now during COVID-19 and how to rank yourselves on an internal audit maturity model. We also kind of talk about, um, give Michael a chance towards the end to talk about what frustrates him the most with internal audit or if he could just grab every internal auditor by the shoulders and shake them and tell them to do, you know, this thing and that's what they, you know, they need to do. So um, that's actually probably best uh, watched also on the YouTube clip. So check that out in the show, the show notes. And then also Michael has a book, the uh, internal audit of the future, the impact of technology innovation. We've also put a link to the book down in the show notes. So be sure to check that out also. Here we go. I'm A. Michael Smith. I'm the Chief Audit Executive at NASDAQ. Um, I've actually been working in the audit profession for um, 30 years now, uh, 32 years, uh, which is hard to believe. Um, I uh, was a partner uh, both at Deloitte and at PwC. Um, additionally, I was the uh, uh, Global Director of Technology Audit at the Bank of New York Mellon. And now I'm uh, the chief audit executive at um, NASDAQ. And um, I think the biggest point of emphasis for us right now, um, you know, when you think about the importance of technology in all industries, but certainly in, in financial services in particular and FinTech, um, there really isn't a distinction between audit and tech audit. Everything has a technology component. And so, you know, one of the biggest things that we're dealing with right now is taking um, our audit function to the next level, um, bringing it to uh, a fully, fully integrated, fully technologically mature, high IT IQ uh, function group. Considering we're all working remote right now, what's it been like to have a global team and try to communicate with them? To have the ability to um, work under any circumstances because of the uh, requirement to keep operations going regardless of what's going on outside. So we're probably a little bit more set up um, than any of the other places that I've worked uh, to facilitate that. But I think for, for most organizations putting us aside and certainly, you know, in the past uh, five years when I was at PwC, um, you know, getting that reliable connectivity and the ability to, to cross time zones and barriers and, um, you know, different types of technologies that, you know, some people have Macs, some people don't, um, you know, different uh, uh, 
video conferencing tools, et cetera, um, you know, having that done on a reliable basis, and, and particularly here recently with, with you know, the, the, the way all the organizations have been thrust into a working at home model, um, the, the impact on bandwidth is uh, extreme. I mean, and I don't think many, you know, certainly many organizations really would have contemplated the level of bandwidth that they would, um, you know, have to be dealing with right now. So, so I think under the sort of <laughs> um, unprecedented situation we find ourselves in now, most of the challenges around communication are going to be um, technological and, and getting into a pattern where, where you can kind of keep that social dynamic and keep people working effectively in teams um, and doing so without seeing each other, which, which really mandates, you know, some informal video conferencing as well, video, you know, video happy hours or video socials or whatever, um, just not to lose that dynamic. Um, you know, and, and, and that's, that's really critical when you, consider all the things that you have to cover in an existing internal audit organization today. I mean, you, between regulatory compliance, technology, non-technology, you know, the teams have to work together and that dynamic uh, can't be, can't be uh, lost. I was curious, what, if anything, are you guys doing different? Um, I will tell you that the, the biggest thing that's come up and, and this has just been recently um, that it's finally got to be an issue. And that's the last thing that I just mentioned. And it's the effect on, I guess I would call it cabin fever and people just not having the connection with other people. I mean, it, it's, um, I know it sounds, it may, may sound silly or it may sound trivial, but it really has a huge impact, uh, psychologically. I mean, you just think about it. I mean, you're going to bed, you're getting up, you're going to work, you're having your dinner, you're having your recreation, whatever you mentioned, your kids, everything done in the same building hour after hour after hour after hour. And so you lose those barriers, those psychological barriers that, that you know, you used to use to manage stress, which is, you know, I'm on the train home, I'm off work, or, you know, now I'm at home, I can play with the kids, or, you know, now I'm asleep, or now I'm going into work. You know, you, you, you can kind of shift your psyche into those different modes, and you lose all of that. And then you lose the ability of people just to walk into your, you know, office and talk to you and ask questions and things like that. And, and, and I'm starting to see the psychological effects of that on the team. And, and, and I would tell you that that, that is something that I, I would preemptively tell the rest of the country is that you have to, I mean, I can't say this strongly enough, you have to create some, some virtual social situations where people can just hang out and talk and laugh and, you mentioned, you know, dogs earlier, you can play with the dogs, you can tell jokes, whatever, but, but you cannot lose that social dynamic. There has to be a way for people to still have that exhaust point um, without losing it by being trapped in the same building. And, and I mean, I don't mean to play that up too much. I mean, none of us are suffering, obviously. I mean, we're not in eight by 12 boxes. Right. It's just, it's, it's, you train yourself, you know, over the years to, to have a work mentality and a home mentality and, and whatnot. And when you, when you lose the ability to do that, everything becomes more stressful. And so, so I think that my one piece of advice to people as they get further into this, and you have to put some virtual social time together. We started doing a newsletter and weekly, uh, you know, uh, puzzles and things and, and uh, whatnot. But I mean, you, you have to do that because um, you'll start to, you'll feel the tension rise if you don't. Yeah. And that's good stuff. And just to kind of share with you some of what other folks have said, just as a um, something, maybe ideas for you to implement if you'd like, is the idea of if you're using a chat, any kind of IM, just start 
occasionally randomly throw a picture of your dog in there, a picture of your, your, you know, your cat, your kid, your husband, whatever it is, whatever it is, you kind of would have like in your office, like you have a picture of your family in the office, throw that out there for the group um, to see to help kind of make it a little bit normal. And then something I've always done that started when I was in my EY days was even in the office late at night <clears throat> when there was nobody there or, or not as many cubicles uh, were claimed was because I had multiple clients, I would sit in one cube and work on a client. And then when I got to a stopping point, um, I would move to another cube in a different part of the office and work on that client. And that kind of helped break it up for me. What do you see audit departments struggling with the most? Do you have a lot of experience in external audit um, and being a chief audit executive? Well, I, I have a lot of experience in this space because actually the last five years, I just came into this role uh, at the beginning of January. The last five years prior to that, I headed up the national emerging tech practice for PwC in the IA space. And so literally all we did was fly around and help people take their audits to their audit shops to the next level. And I can tell you that, that bar none, the biggest challenge everybody has is ITIQ and uh, implementation of technology. And, and, and part of it, there's a couple of different things at work. Because um, I can tell you, like I said, for, for the better part of five years, that was 80% of what I did. And then I've had two industry jobs and I'm a partner part of that with Deloitte. And of all the, between the clients and industry jobs, there's only two organizations I've run into um, obviously can't say who they are, but there's only two organizations that I've run into that I would say really have this locked and loaded. And you think about the, the number of people that I've worked with and for and everything, it's, it's, a, it's a big number. And what ends up happening is I think people end up in two different groups. There's a group that believes they're doing everything already because they're doing one or two little things. Like, you know, it's the group that constantly runs five to 10 years behind everybody else. So, you know, they're doing data analytics and so they believe they're automated. You know, they, um, and they might be doing um, uh, RPA and so they believe that it's the same thing as artificial intelligence. So there's the, the, the bucket of groups that, that are constantly behind, but because they're doing something, they believe that they're not. And then there's the other bucket of uh, groups where they have this huge bifurcation between tech audit and non-tech audit which is just unsustainable. I mean, you know, it's one of these list to me now, believe me later things. If you still, if you're still treating your internal audit organization as if there's this tech group that does all the IT work and then there's this other group that never goes in that space, then you are destined to fail because, you know, we don't have an audit, we don't have an audit on the plan that doesn't have a tech component. I mean, you know, I challenge you to find, at least in financial services or FinTech, name me one area you could audit that wouldn't have a tech you know, components. So, so how are you, how are you doing this successfully if you're pretending that there's two different groups? And I see, I've seen some organizations take it to extremes. I mean, again, I can't mention any names at all, obviously, but I've seen some organizations where the tech audit function and the, and the non, you know, the tech audit group and the non-tech audit group operate like two completely independent organizations. And that's just, that's about as counterproductive as you can possibly get. I mean, you know, everybody has to be an IT auditor to some degree. Um, and, and the teams have to work together in a fully integrated fashion or there's literally no chance for success, particularly at the speed with which technology is advancing. And one of the things, one of the interesting sort of sidebar 
you know, effects of what we're going through now that you're, that I believe you will see, and this is entirely my opinion, so take it for what it's worth. But when we come out of the other end of this, um, I think the sheer fact that people, so many people will have experienced how easy it is to work remotely and how many things they can do virtually is going to result in a huge change in how we think about um, the audit process, uh, well, any process, any business process, but the audit process in particular, um, particularly when you couple that with all the costs of maintaining formal physical space and everything. And, and I think that there may be yet another shift now in the profession, um, not because of any positive reason, none of us wanted to have to do this, but but we will adapt and we're, you know, human beings will adapt. And I think that when people see how easy it is to facilitate this and how they can be just as effective, it's gonna have a big effect on the size of teams, how we distribute teams, how we think about geographical representation, all of that stuff is gonna be effective. Um, and, and, and not just audit, but, but audit in particular. Yeah, and I think there's a ton of opportunity, um, but with the opportunity, there's also the risk of setting that uh, remote work idea back even further. I've heard it talked about in higher ed that all the people that have been trying to push for online instruction, they kind of finally get that chance, but they don't have the system in place to support it at the scale that it needed to be. So now it's going to set it back, you know, 10 years. Um, I know my mom's a, a teacher and she's saying not everybody has the internet or not everybody at their school has a laptop. So you have to account for that. And with it just kind of, they basically had, you know, less than a week really to, to kind of get it implemented that those people and others are going to say, look at, look at how it failed. This, this model isn't going to work. We shouldn't invest any more into it. So, I think everyone has the opportunity to take advantage of that and prove to the folks that they work with that this can be done. Cause there's very, very few people I've talked to that have ever said, I would never like, you know, I don't ever want to work from home at right. most, or at least I'll hear, you know, once a week would be nice. Or if I'm just slammed all weekend for whatever reason, or, you know, I've got three kids and they drive me nuts. And if I could just have like a day to work from home and in between just do some laundry or something, you know, just to kind of play catch up. Um, so anyway, I think there's a huge opportunity for people here, but it can also, I believe, set us back. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at Audit Board, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. Audit Board's integrated suite of easy to use audit risk and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with Audit Board's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see Audit Board's award-winning platform in action today. Okay. If there was a kind of a maturity scale, I'm sure you've probably seen the maturity scale they put out for analytics and ad hoc. And then kind of at the end is the predictive um, analytics piece. So that's how it is in some of them. Yeah. If you, had, if you had your own kind of maturity scale and obviously the size of the organization can kind of play a role in that just because of resources and everything, where would you in today's world with access to analytics tools, bots, 
essentially being easier than ever to use or automation being easier than ever to use. Um, visualization tool, like all this stuff is relatively easy now compared to what it was even 10, definitely 20 years ago. Where would you, how would you rank it in terms of if you were using these processes, these tools um, up to the, you know, the best kind of installation, where would you, how would you kind of define that? So how, what would I define as like true North, which combination of those things? Yes. Okay. So, so it, my, my answer to that is this. So, so no, as, as you're going to find it's typical with me, it's going to be a long winded answer. So yeah. I'll tell advanced, but, but I, I don't think that there is a, a quote unquote gold standard, but because the thing is that, it, and this is one of the things I did a speech a couple of years ago for the state boards of public uh, uh, certified public accountancy and uh, I did a, 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 a brief speech at the Senate Finance Committee as well on this, is that what's happening in the profession is if you think about the way organizations are set up, technology is in place only because it drives business objectives. And so every organization has a slightly different business objective. Even if you're comparing large money center banks, money center bank A will have a different overall strategic plan than money center B. It may be retail versus commercial, it may be geographic, whatever. But those business strategies drive the technological footprint. And so as a result of that, when you start looking at organizations and when you look across industry sectors as well, and that starts to get blurred a little as you start looking at organizations like Amazon and Facebook and Google that are to varying degrees getting into fintech, um, that, that what the way that you would approach and deal with audit in each of those organizations is substantially different. And so you have to understand what the business purpose is and therefore what the related IT footprint would be and then what the underlying data and strategic needs of the organization would be. And then from that, then you put together the right combinations of tools, assets, resource, excuse me, individuals um, necessary to, to support them in achieving those strategic objectives. So because of that, when we go out and we put in you know, solutions, we'd have, you know, an organization, let's say that there's a, a shipping and logistics company. Um, you know, you may not think about this on the surface, but many of them view their operational risk profile the same as most large money center banks, because they, they in effect have a clearing and settlement problem, five, you know, seven days a week. So, so what everything they, they need is about large transaction resilience, you know, that type of thing. So you need a lot of real time virtualized automation that, so that the audit activity can meet the true pace of transaction processing. And, and that's also true with large transaction processors, um, you know, exchanges, credit card companies, things like that, where you're moving lots and lots of transactions. You need the ability to have almost a per transaction audit uh, view on what's going on. So that of necessity requires substantially more, um, you know, automation and virtualization and more intelligent automation and virtualization, you start talking about getting into predictive analytics. But even that, you know, is required, takes time because you have to, you have to go on a life cycle and you have to start accumulating enough data and get good enough at what you're doing to be able to, to take the step into a predictive space. So it's a, it's, a, it's a journey. But then you might find another organization that's heavily, heavily, heavily locked into a retail sector with thousands of branches and lots of, audit activity that requires individual 
um, qualitative analysis and opinion, um, you know, credit decisions and things like that. And, and that might have a different look and feel to it and may not have as sexy a, a, uh, an automation footprint. So, so I don't think that there's, you know, a, a silver bullet, but I think it's important to, to get to the right answer. You have to be open to everything, but you have to understand what it is you're trying to achieve. And then, and then over time build what's necessary in place, uh, to, to meet those objectives. But, um, but I will tell you that to me, and this may be counterintuitive, particularly given what you guys do, but to me, the technology piece is the easiest piece. The hardest piece is finding the people that can have the adaptive mindset because most people who are in career audit, whether it's internal audit or external financial statement audit, are not necessarily consultative thinkers by nature. And that's really what you need. And you need people with extremely high ITIQs, but also extremely strong business acumen. And there aren't just, you know, thousands of those people out walking around the street. So to me, that is prohibitively the biggest problem. I mean, you just, it, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, kind of right up there with, I would tell you that there's no such thing as a standard audit program anymore either, because of all the stuff I said earlier about no two things are the same. So, so how can you have a, you know, a standard set of things that you're going to look at, um, you know, uh, in, 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 in multiple organizations. So it's, it's, it's a huge change for on a profession that by its nature does not attract people open to change. <laughs> yeah. I think what, um, yeah, that's the truth. Uh, um, well, what I've been hearing from some folks, the term that I really like now is the, the term technologist. Like they're looking to hire technologists, especially this particular group. They only had uh, five or six people in their IT audit group. And this is a global company um a huge huge company they only had six people and said when we hire we hire like the best technologists that we can find um what and if they have an audit background great but i've always said it's you can teach somebody audit easier than you can teach people to be technologist type people i would agree with that and and i would also say too and this will mean a lot to you i think when i say this to some people it surprises them but the other thing that I look for is I like to get, if I can find them, is a, is a functional mathematician as well. So, um, problem solvers, not a, you know, not like a, uh, uh, actuary or a quant or something like that, but someone that has advanced mathematical skills and, you know, what comes with that is the logical thinking. And, and, and then I found that they are extremely, it's very easy to teach them both technology and, auditing um and many of them have technology backgrounds as well so that's that's the other area that i look for uh, a lot very nice all right uh so i'll just do a couple more questions and then i'll i'll let you go my wife texted me and said the kid was starting to wake up so <laughs> <laughs> the things we're dealing with these days right now there you go um this is something that i would like your opinion on though and and that is what questions do you think audit other audit committee chairs should be asking their audit leadership well i think um audit committee chairs should be putting more pressure on audit leadership to give them the appropriate messaging so like if you think about um what a lot of audit uh, a lot of audit leaders do is they'll come into an audit committee meeting with you know 20 terabytes of schedules and reports and listings of <laughs> engagements and stuff and 100 page documents all of which is meaningless. I mean, you know, you, you need to be coming in with 
you know, here's the top three things I want you to walk out of this room knowing. Here's the handful of things that are late. Here's the handful of things that were criticized since we last met. You know, it needs to be, you need to get to the point, clear, transparent, cogent business messaging, not, you know, look what we did. And, you know, and I think that that is the difference between what I would call a manufacturing audit shop and a strategic audit shop. A manufacturing audit shop, you know, uh, su uh, succeeds or fails by churning out hundreds and hundreds of reports and thousands of issues. And look, we completed our plan. It doesn't matter if we audited the right stuff, but we completed our plan, you know, and on and on and on. And the strategic auditor, you know, should have a, 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 a laser focus on the pulse of the business and should be able to uh, crisply and, and transparently communicate, this is what you need to know about the company. This is where we are. This is the state of the control health of the organization. And, and that's all you need to know. And, 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 I, and I know from experience, from sitting through hundreds of audit committee meetings when I was in public accounting, that that is what um, audit committee members want, but audit leadership is slow to change. But I, I think that most of the time that's because the audit leader in question is not comfortable addressing business, you know, strategic level business issues. And they're, 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 they're more content to be, you know, swinging at weeds. Yeah. makes a lot of sense. All right. We'll start to wrap it up. If there is anything, this is your soapbox moment. If there's anything, that you, uh, any kind of frustration that you feel in the industry that you want to get out and you just wish you could grab somebody by the shoulders and shake them and say, listen to this thing that I'm about to tell you, what do you think it would be? It would be this audit is not an expense center. It's a strategic beneficiary to the company. And if you're not providing valuable insights to the C-suite in the company, you're not doing your mandate. If you're viewed as an expense center and you have to go in and beg for, you know, 2% increase every year so people can have uh, different color pencils, then you're doing something wrong. That is perfect. And I'm just going to, since you said that, can you see that? Yeah. Oh, look. <laughs> oh my God. Great minds think alike, huh? Yeah. It's on the website too. I, I knew exactly where it was on this, this page though, but anyway, <laughs> so I'll say brilliant, brilliant answer. <laughs> priceless, priceless. All right. Uh, so this is kind of your self promotion moment. If there, if you want to shout out to your team or anything like that. Also, if you want, just go ahead and let me know now uh, if you have like any speaking engagements coming up, any like white papers coming out in journals or anything like that. And I'll go ahead and add that to uh, like, in the description of the, the episode so people can keep an eye out for it. Okay, so I don't have anything coming up because of the situation we're in, right. but, um, um, but I did just have a book um, go out um, the uh, 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 last, um, let me just get the name if you don't mind. Yeah. You think I'd be able to pull that off the top of my head, but this is what, <laughs> the, this is what happens when you get to be my age. Um, Let's see. Okay. So just this past summer, um, I had an odd, I had a report, a, a book I wrote, um, published by the IA. It's called internal audit of the future, the impact of technology, uh, innovation. And it was, uh, 
you know, joint published by the IA and PwC, but um, I'm the author on that, and it's um, uh, uh, that's it's a really I'm really proud of that, and it's a uh, it's a it's a good um, it's a good read. Okay. Um, uh, in terms of a shout out, um, you know, I I I'm very uh, excited about this role. I've only been in a, a you know a, a couple of months and. Um, two and a half months and one of those has been virtual <laughs> but uh i would like to applaud my global team for you know having to endure an almost daily level of change as i've come in and started making uh process modifications across the board and having to deal with all of that with all of this other stuff at the same time and still maintain a, a good sense of humor i could be prouder of them and i, I think they're a fantastic group all right. Well, thank you, Michael, again, for coming on the show. There's a lot of good stuff in there, mainly because I agree with most of it. <laughs> <laughs> but again, thank you for your time, especially in this, this busy kind of time that we're all going through. Hey, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.